It's late Friday night, and you know what that means. It's time for our tired episode. A 10-minute read of a story that is sure to help you create the calm that you need and to help you push the week's trials and tribulations out of your head and help you to fall into a peaceful night's rest. This season, my background music to help you relax is music provided by Nature Healing Society. And now for the story. And this story is called Luck by Mark Twain. Note, this is not a fancy sketch. I got it from a clergyman who was an instructor at Woolrich 40 years ago and who vouched for its truth. It was at a banquet in London in honor of one of the two or three conspicuously illustrious English military names of this generation. For reasons which will presently appear, I will withhold his name and titles and call him Lieutenant General Lord Arthur Scoresby, VC, KCB, etc., etc., etc. What a fascination there is in a renowned name. There sat the man actual flesh whom I have heard of so many thousands of times since that day thirty years before when his name shot suddenly to the zenith from a Crimean battlefield to remain forever celebrated it was food and drink to me to look and look and look at that demigod scanning searching noting the quietness, the reserve, the noble gravity of his countenance, the simple honesty that expressed itself all over him, the sweet consciousness of his greatness, unconsciousness of the hundreds of admiring eyes fastened upon him, unconscious of the deep, loving, sincere worship welling out of the breast of those people and flowing toward him. The clergyman at my left was an old acquaintance of mine, clergyman now, but had spent the first half of his life in the camp and the field as an instructor in the military school at Woolwich. Just at the moment I have been talking about a veiled and singular light glimmered in his eyes and he leaned toward me and he muttered confidentially to me indicating that the hero of the banquet was privately an absolute fool. This verdict was a great surprise to me. If its subject had been Napoleon or Socrates or Solomon 
My astonishment could not have been greater. Two things I was well aware of, that the reverend was a man of strict veracity, and that his judgment of men was good. Therefore, I knew beyond doubt or question that the world was mistaken about this hero. He was a fool. And so I meant to find out at a convenient moment how the reverend, all solitary and alone, had discovered the secret. Some days later the opportunity came and this is what the reverend told me. About 40 years ago, I was an instructor in the military academy at Woolridge. I was present in one of the sections when young Scoresby underwent his preliminary examination. I was touched to the quick with pity, for the rest of the class answered up brightly and handsomely, while he, oh dear me, he didn't know anything, so to speak. He was evidently good and sweet and lovable and guileless, and so it was exceedingly painful to see him stand there, as serene as a graven image, and deliver himself of answers which were veritably miraculous for stupidity and ignorance. All the compassion in me was aroused in his behalf, and I said to myself, when he comes to be examined again, he will be flung over, of course, so it will be simply a harmless act of charity to ease his fall as much as I can. And so I took him aside, and I found that he knew a little of Caesar's history, and as he didn't know anything else, I went to work, and I drilled him on a certain line of stock questions concerning Caesar which I knew would be used. If you'll believe me, he went through with flying colors on examination day. He went through on that purely superficial cram and got compliments too, while others who knew a thousand times more than he got plucked. But some strangely lucky accident an accident not likely to happen twice in a century. He was asked no question outside of the narrow limits of his drill. It was stupefying. Well, of course, through his course I stood by him with something of the sentiment which a mother feels for a crippled child. And he always saved himself just by miracle apparently. Now, of course, the thing that would expose him and kill him at last was mathematics. I resolved to make his death as easy as I could, so I drilled him and I crammed him, and crammed him and drilled him just on the line of questions which the examiners would be most likely to use, and then launching him on his fate. Well, sir, try to convince of the result to my consternation he took first place and with it he got a perfect ovation in the way of compliments sleep 
Oh, there was no sleep for me for a week. My conscience tortured me day and night. What I had done, I had done purely through charity and only to ease the poor youth's fall. I had never dreamed of any such preposterous result as the thing that had happened. I felt as guilty and miserable as a creator of Frankenstein. Here was a wooden head whom I had put in a way of glittering promotions and prodigious responsibilities. And but one thing could happen. He and his responsibilities would all go to ruin together at the first opportunity. The Crimean War had just broken out. Of course there had to be a war, I said to myself. We couldn't have peace and give this donkey a chance to die before he was found out. I waited for the earthquake, and it came. It made me real when it did come. He was actually gasseted to a captaincy in a marching regiment. Better men grew old and gray in the service before they climbed to a sublimity like that. And who could have ever foreseen that they would go and put such a load of responsibility on such green and inadequate shoulders? I could just barely have stood it if they had made him a cornet. But a captain? Think of it. I thought my hair would turn white. Consider what I did. I, who so loved repose and inaction, I said to myself, I am responsible to this country for this, and I must go along with him and protect the country against him as far as I can. And so I took my poor little capital that I had saved up through the years of work and grinding economy and went with a sigh and bought a courtesy in his regiment and away we went into the field and there oh dear it was awful blunders why he never did anything but blunder but you see nobody was in the fellow's secret everybody had him focused wrong and necessarily misinterpreted his performance every time consequently they took his idiotic blunders for inspirations of genius they did, honestly. His mildest blunders were enough to make a man in his right mind cry, and they did make me cry, and rage, and rave too, privately. And the thing that kept me in a sweat of apprehension was the fact that every fresh blunder he made increased the luster of his reputation. I kept saying to myself, he'll get so high that when discovery finally does come, it will be like the sun falling out of the sky. He went right along up from grade to grade over the dead bodies of his superiors until at last, in the hottest moment of the battle, down went our colonel and my heart jumped into my mouth for Scoresby was next in rank. Now for it, said I, we'll all land in Sheol in ten minutes for sure. 
The battle was awfully hot. The Allies were steadily giving way all over the field. A regiment occupied a position that was vital. A blunder now must be destruction. At this crucial moment, what does this immortal fool do but detach the regiment from its place and order a charge over a neighboring hill where there wasn't a suggestion of an enemy? There you go, I said to myself. This is the end at last. And away we did go and were over the shoulder of the hill before the insane moment could be discovered and stopped. And what did we find? An entire and unsuspected Russian army in reserve. And what happened? Were we eaten up? That necessarily would have happened in 99 cases out of a hundred. But now, those Russians argued that no single regiment would come browsing around there at such a time. It must be the entire English army and that the sly Russian game was detected and blocked. And so they turned tail and away they went, pell-mell over the hill and down into the field in wild confusion. And we, after them, they themselves broke the solid Russian center in the field and tore it through. And in no time, there was the most tremendous rout you ever saw. And the defeat of the Allies was turned into a sweeping and splendid victory. Marshal Cornebert looked on, dizzy with astonishment, admiration, and delight, and sent right off for Scoresby and hugged him and decorate him on the field in presence of all of the armies. And what was Scoresby's blunder that time? Merely the mistake in his right hand for his left. That was all. An order had come to him to fall back and to support our right. And instead he fell forward and went up the hill to his left but the name he won that day as a marvelous military genius filled the world with his glory and that glory will never fade while history books last he is just as good and sweet and lovable and pretending as a man can be but he doesn't know enough to come in when it rains now that is absolutely true he is the supremest ass in the universe. And until half an hour ago, nobody knew it but himself and me. He has been pursued day by day and year by year by the most phenomenal and astonishing luck. He's been a shining soldier in Oliver Wars for a generation. And he has littered his whole military life with blunders, and yet has never committed one that didn't make him a knight, or baronet, or a lord, or something. Look at his breast. Why, he has it clothed in domestic and foreign decorations. Well, sir, 
every one of them is a record of some shouting stupidity or another, and taken together, they are proof that the very best thing in all of this world that can befall a man is to be born lucky. I say again, as I said at the banquet, Scoresby's and absolute fool. And that is a story by Mark Twain. And I do agree with him that the very best thing in all this world that can befall any person is to be born lucky. Scoresby had the luck of having the Reverend take pity on him and help him. And although I don't believe that it was luck that gave him every single question about Caesar, I do believe that luck played throughout his career, just as it may have with yours. You know, so many people and so many companies have become successful due to luck. A friend of mine and I were joking about it. if there was no bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Have you ever felt that way as well? If so, perhaps you should examine the luck that you've been given, for that is what I did this morning. When I woke up from my sleep, I looked around my room and I thought, how lucky am I to be able to see when so many others cannot. And then I got up and I walked into the kitchen to have breakfast. And again I thought, how lucky am I to be able to walk when so many others cannot. And then when I started to do my podcast, I thought, how lucky am I to be able to speak when so many others cannot. And then I got thinking that we take our luck for granted the things that we have been blessed with. I know when it comes to speaking, I had always taken that for granted until, as you know, about a month and a half ago, I had lost my voice and I'm still dealing with the damage that was caused to my vocal cords. I do hope for full recovery one day, but in the meantime, I consider myself lucky that it was not worse. And so next time you think that you have no luck, think of all the things that you have been lucky to have that others have not. Perhaps you haven't been lucky enough to reach the promotion that you want or that you feel that you deserve. Perhaps you don't feel you've been lucky enough in love as yet. But perhaps these things will come. Perhaps they will show themselves. But as you wait for luck, always be thankful for what you have and advance yourself each and every day through your learning, your skills, your networking, and your love for yourself. And for now, I want you to sleep. 
I will let you go. It's time for you to have a peaceful rest. <laughs>